Hello and welcome to the Emerging Litigation Podcast. I'm Tom Hagee. This is a collaboration between my company, HB Litigation, and Law Street Media, which is part of Fastcase. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that falls into the category of giving the little guy access to justice, or more specifically, giving them support as they litigate against defendants who often have infinitely more resources than they do. For any individual, merely navigating litigation can be expensive, time-consuming, distracting, and at times overwhelming. But when that individual is also unable to work or cannot function as they normally would because they've been disabled by an injury, like the loss of a limb in a railroad accident, or they're undergoing treatment for disease, like cancer caused by exposure to a toxic herbicide, that stress level explodes for that person and their family. Add to that, in recent years, the compounding effect of living in a pandemic, where children are attending school from home and courts are clogged, and leaving the house, which is already a challenge, becomes an even bigger one. I add this all up, just in case you think you've had a bad day. And you may have. So there are companies. They're there to help you. There are companies that will provide financial support to claimants in litigation helping them with their daily expenses and their loans, their rent, their student loans, plus their medical costs. They do this until the case settles or until they receive an award. Most of these, as you can imagine, are for-profit entities. So they see a, uh, an individual who has a serious need for some serious cash or just any kind of cash. Well, their fees can, be, um, their fees can, be, can make the whole thing unaffordable for that plaintiff. Uh, and they can leave the plaintiff with far less of their awards than, than really is necessary. Not all. Some of them are better than others, right? Of course they are. Our guest today is going to describe a different approach taken by the nonprofit foundation she oversees. Aaron Waz is the director of the Milestone Foundation. It's a national nonprofit that provides financial assistance to people pursuing a personal injury lawsuit. She brings nearly two decades of experience working in the public sector and with nonprofits in fundraising and communications, most recently at the University of Buffalo, where she served as senior advancement writer. Prior to relocating to Buffalo, Erin spent the bulk of her career in Boston, where she worked in stewardship at Harvard University and as a consultant for nonprofits of all sizes. And uh, I appreciate the time she took. So let me just jump right into my conversation with Aaron Wass, Executive Director of the Milestone Foundation. Yeah, they're out there doing some good. Aaron Wass, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Tom, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So we want to discuss uh, the, the challenge that plaintiffs have when it comes to uh, funding themselves, I guess, once they've initiated litigation with a, uh, with a plaintiff firm. So can you tell me a little bit about some of the, the challenges they face? Sure. So um, when someone's been in a catastrophic incident or an accident or um, is suffering in some way and going through civil litigation, they might have their workers' comp run out. They might have not be able to work because of their injuries, fall behind on their mortgage. But they are expecting a payout. 
while plaintiffs might know that this money will be coming to them eventually, in the meantime, they often need to take out loans or advances on their cases to help ensure that they can pay for their basic living expenses in the meantime. But they're going to have to pay that back or not. And the industry is non-recourse, which means that when you take out this advance, um, you don't have to pay anything if you don't win your case. So there is a certain level of risk that is assumed. And as a result of that, um, many of the for-profit lenders charge very high interest rates. They say they have to account for a certain percentage of these cases not settling. And that's money that's just going to go out the door. So what impact does that have on the plaintiffs? People wind up paying just huge amounts of interest, um, compounding interest rates uh, that compound monthly, um, confusing terms in the contracts that they sign. You know, um, we've heard stories of uh, attorneys just saying, you know, uh, my client took out a $5,000 advance and was shocked when they owed $16,000 on it. Um, nine months later. So it, it really sticker shock for these individuals who think they need the money to see their lawsuit through to completion so they don't settle too soon or for too low. You know, the defendants can sit back, they have deep pockets, they can kind of wait out the, the trial, whereas the individual who has been harmed really needs those resources as soon as possible. Did COVID have an impact on, on, on individual plaintiffs? Yeah, certainly. So many trials, particularly civil trials, were pushed out because of um, social distancing and different requirements. Um, so dockets are really backed up right now. And cases that generally would have gone to um, trial within, you know, nine months, 12 months are getting pushed out as far as 18 months, 24 months. So that's creating the situation where um, people who have you know, they've exhausted all their resources. Um, eviction moratoriums are coming to an end. Government subsidies are coming to an end. So suddenly individuals who thought they would have their case settled by now are in a bind where they're trying to figure out, okay, so should we settle for this smaller amount, which we know is really a lowball offer? Or is there a way that I can afford my basic living expenses and really see this trial through to its fairest conclusion? They have a lot of the same financial challenges that everybody else had during the pandemic with maybe reduced pay or having to pick up extra expenses for childcare or whatever or homeschooling. And so they had all the same stresses and challenges everybody else had, plus they're uh, engaged in litigation. Yeah, and not only in, engage the litigation, but they've also many times been injured and have um, you know medical expenses that they didn't have previously, or just an absolute inability to work, even if they have the desire to work. So many of them are, are suffering from you know either physical injuries um, like spinal cord injuries, or see a lot of um, railroad incidents that happen, um, and someone might break a leg and not be able to do manual labor anymore and not have a skill set. Um, for another career right off the bat. We see a lot of cancer patients who have, you know, been exposed to Roundup, you know, are undergoing chemotherapy. And so while there's COVID going around and you have a suppressed immune system, you really are not able to go out physically and work or, you know, even go to the grocery store. They've got challenges coming from all directions. What kind of lending opportunities do plaintiffs traditionally have available to them? You know, if you've ever watched reruns late at night, you'll see um, an ad saying, do you, you know, do you suffer from mesothelioma? We can give you money today. And you, you really can get money wired within 24 hours. If you're part of a lawsuit, some of these um, 
huge cases that are going up against medical industry or um, when you see chemicals that have impacted people like Roundup, for instance, there are these huge class action lawsuits. And if you can prove that the cancer you have is as a result of um, exposure to some of these chemicals, it's pretty certain that you will get a payout. And, you know, there, there are tiers of um, depending on, you know, your age, your, the um, stage of the cancer, et cetera, it's, it's pretty clear what type of funding you'll receive. So a lot of times for-profit lenders that advertise um, will be able to give you money, you know, they'll underwrite your case very quickly. They'll, they'll see what um, exposure you had, what um, stage your cancer is, you know, when you're scheduled for trial and know that you'll probably be, you know, in a certain tier. So you'll be getting $100,000 as a result of the uh, injuries that you suffered. And oftentimes they will, you know, give you as much money as you want that they think they can balance against that payout that you'll receive without really being thoughtful about, well, what what do you need the money for right now? and, And how long do you need it? Their goal will oftentimes be to just give out as much money as possible in order to get as much interest back as they can. Particularly, the the margin is very high in post-settlement cases where really someone's just waiting on a check to come in the mail and they'll take out an advance on that settlement for, you know, as much as 45, 50% interest. And then, you know, three months later, when you get your check for $100,000, you're paying almost half of that back to the, the lender. Is that, do you know, is that regulated? That, so part of the issue is it's not very well regulated. Um, there are about seven states that have passed legislation to try, since it's non-recourse, it doesn't fall in the same consumer protection laws that, that a traditional loan would. Recently, Colorado's Supreme Court said, um, no, the, these are technically loans. And so you need to um, you know, avoid the usurious rates and, and do the rates that we require everyone to do. So you're, you're not you know, taking advantage of people. As a result, a lot of the for-profit lenders no longer fund in Colorado, which so it's there's a balance here because a lot of times these funds really are necessary for people to see their cases through, to afford their basic living expenses, to just to, to get through to the resolution of their case. So on the one hand, it's great when there's legislation that's trying to make it so the individuals won't be harmed, but at the same time, it removes the possibility of them receiving this funding and, and really leaves them in a bind when so many of these plaintiffs have already exhausted their savings. They've, you know, taken out second mortgages. They've done GoFundMes and kind of had their communities kick in. And, and again, just knowing that there's this money that's just out of reach that you know you're going to get, but not being able to live your day-to-day life in the meantime just adds so much stress in addition to going through the litigation and and to whatever injuries, um, mental and physical, they've suffered to that point. What do plaintiff attorneys uh, think about this? Do they, are they are they happy when they're when they're when their uh, clients are able to get funding like this? Uh, from my experience, no. I think I would say at least you know once a week um, we'll see either on a listserv or um, in an email that comes directly to us. Uh, my client is asking for um, pre-settlement funding. I hate when they do this. They, it's always sticker shock at the end, but they're really desperate. It's a really good case. 
what do you think I should do? And um, here at the Milestone Foundation, we've been really excited to see a lot of those listservs um, attorneys that we've worked with that we don't have particularly close relationships with, but that we've just crossed paths with and funded some of their clients will say, oh, you have to check out the Milestone Foundation. I send them there as opposed to anywhere else. Um, because, you know, we're the only nonprofit doing this. We were founded six years ago um, by John Baer, who has a long history working in um, settlement planning. And um, he's a great guy who just really looks at it from how can we best serve these plaintiffs? So many times um, people who are going to win a, a big lawsuit might not have strong financial training or background or know what to do with what might feel like a windfall. You know, it's deserved money because they've gone through a horrible incident, but it's oftentimes will be a lump sum that's more money than they've ever had in their life. Mm -hmm. So John has um, worked to help ensure that they can plan in such a way that if they're eligible for government benefits, they can still get those government benefits um, to help protect the funds. Uh, if it's someone who's really not sure how to invest, how to help them invest. So he had been doing that um, with Milestone Consulting for years. And then as he got to talking to people and finding out, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting this much, but I have to pay this much back to the lender um, and starting to see what those interest rates were. He just thought there had to be a better way to go about it. So as a result, he um, and his wife, Amy, invested their own funds to start uh, the Milestone Foundation. It's a 501c3. So we are a pure nonprofit. Um, we have very little overhead and um, we have the lowest interest rate um, in the industry. We charge 13% simple interest. Understood. So what kind of track record do you have? Over the past six years, we've funded um, over 500 cases. Um, we have a 0% default rate. That's pretty amazing. You know, as a small nonprofit, we um, are very, very diligent in our underwriting process. We're lucky to have some really talented attorneys who volunteer their time to help us review our cases. That must be pretty fulfilling. It's just been so meaningful. You know, the industry, the non-recourse lending industry is upwards of a $700 million a year industry. We, you know, give out around a million dollars or so a year, I would say we're averaging and we're looking to grow our program. We've had some recent investments. So we're going to um, try to do outreach and, and help even more individuals. But we're really not making a dent in the space, but we're making a huge difference to those individuals that we're helping. And the goal is to ultimately inspire others to who have, you know, kind of a philanthropic bent to maybe start additional nonprofits like this. We have no designs on being a, a leader in the non-recourse funding. We know we can't get to that point and compete with all the hedge funds and the for-profits, but we really just want people to be aware of um, some of the predatory practices and to be an alternative that, that people can come to and be treated fairly. We may not be making a big dent in the industry, but I... I in these in these 500 cases that you funded you've made a huge dent in, in their lives i'm sure absolutely and and you've got a zero uh, percent default rate that's phenomenal so you must do some careful as you said examining of of what the what the risks are yeah absolutely um which is you know it's tough we we can't not necessarily take on some of the, the riskier cases that some of the for-profits do. Um, but one thing that I'm, I'm proud of is that we have really done our um, diligence in making calls to some of these for-profits. You were saying that you look for some that are a little more forward-thinking, including some that even offer simple interest, right? 
There are some that offer simple interest. There are some that cap the amount owed at um, twice as much as the original principal, which I mean, still sounds terrible, but some, some go dramatically over that. Do you work with some of these other lenders on behalf of plaintiffs? We have negotiated rates with some of the for-profit lenders so that if we're not able to fund someone, we can send them over to someone that we know might be able to on the for-profit side, and they'll give them their best rate because we've already done a lot of the underwriting. We've done a lot of the legwork. Um, we're happy to make those recommendations to try to help people as much as we can, even if we can't personally fund them. So you're able to, you know, if you can't fund somebody, you're able to assist them with a, another solution that Sounds like that's in keeping with your mission. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give me some short examples or case studies on uh, plaintiffs that you funded? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you about a recent case that that just had an impact on my case manager and I. Um, one of the nice things about being a small nonprofit is that we really get to know the plaintiffs that we fund and, and we're a resource for them. Um, there was recently a woman who was in her early 50s. Um, she had exposure to Roundup and has stage four cancer, um, knew she would be getting a $175,000 settlement within about six months or so. But in the meantime, her car was about to be repossessed. Um, she's been going through chemotherapy. She works part-time, but really needed to rely on this transportation to get to her job. So in January, we were able to give her an advance of $6,000 um, in March, she paid us back. So um, with our low interest rate and um, the application fee, she owed us um, $6,599. If she had gone to some of our competitors, you know, back of the envelope math, if she had gone to somewhere that charged a 45% flat fee, which some places do, it would have been $8,700. If she had gone somewhere with 5% compounding interest, she would have owed $7,500. So, we were, you know, and that's a relatively, we we tend to do loans around $5,000 to $10,000. So the larger the loans go, you know, the larger the margin of what people are saving with us. Seems like that was really fast. You know, that was a really quick turnaround and she could have wound up owing almost, you know, 50% of her advance back to a lender, but she was able to come to the Milestone Foundation and do that lower amount. And actually we got paid off and we, and we were happy to receive that check, but she called in and asked for a second advance. We generally only give one advance. And we thought that was kind of funny because, you know, she really had limited needs and, and we knew she was getting her payoff soon. So my case manager called her law firm and was able to determine that they had sent her check to the wrong address. So my case manager figured, said, oh, well, we have this woman's most recent address and was able to resolve it. We didn't have to give her another advance. We went that extra step as opposed to, to trying to you know, get more money out of someone. We were able to help resolve that for a woman who you know, calls us when she needs something, which is really wonderful. Nice. What a good story. Yeah. Um, another story that kind of, you know, tugs at the heartstrings is um, in Georgia, there was a pediatric dentist who had contaminated water. So there's a big lawsuit going on right now with tons of children who have suffered immense dental injuries as a result of this being exposed to the contaminated water. Um, it's a very strong case. So there's one family who has two children, um, one daughter who was impacted really terribly and has just gone through tons of, of procedures and the mother has had to stop working because her daughter is sick and she's taking her to all of these appointments. We were able to give them a $15,000 advance and, you know, it, it's helping them pay their bills with the loss of the mother's income. She can devote her time to her, her daughter. And 
unsolicited, um, the attorney that um, worked with us to help get the funding for the plaintiff sent us an email just saying, you know, with great reluctance and against my own advice, I've assisted other clients in borrowing funds in this context from other lenders. The rates on some of these loans were 5% monthly compounding. The foundation provides an invaluable service and lifeline to families that should not be further victimized. And, you know, basically those are like our talking points. So to hear that come from someone unsolicited, it, it's really heartwarming to know that we really are meeting the needs of these individuals and, and surprising attorneys because they're so used to the, this predatory space. Um, they've never really come across a compassionate lender. Yeah. Sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently wrote a, an article and I, I said, you know, fair pre-settlement funding, a viable alternative or an oxymoron. And then, you know, we're a national foundation. We're based in Buffalo, but we um, have funded all across the country. We've, we fund tons of cases in Florida, Texas, California, um, Colorado. There are certain places where the for-profit lenders have too many regulations, so they're less inclined to fund there. So we're able to pick up some of the slack. But recently, we funded a case here in Buffalo. There was a, a stabbing at a local high school. The case is stating negligence on behalf of the school district. A 15-year-old was stabbed, um, serious injuries. The family's living accommodations really weren't great for this child to be released into. It, it, so they wound up staying at the Salvation Army for a few weeks. Um, they finally got funding for an apartment, and we were able to give a $5,000 advance so they could furnish the apartment. And it, it, you know, being able to do something like that here in our own backyard is, is really meaningful. It's something that, that hits close to home and that to be able to make a difference right here in Buffalo um, felt really good in that case. Yeah, that must have made a huge difference to that family. So how would somebody get involved with an organization like yours? As a nonprofit, we are dependent upon donor support to help grow our program. If attorneys are interested in contacting us just to learn about our program and, and how to help their clients apply, we're happy to have those conversations. Um, we're always looking for volunteers who uh, would like to be part of the underwriting process or help us guide us in our um, planning and programming. Also, um, you know, fundraising is a big part of what we do. And as a 501c3, donations are tax deductible. And it's really interesting because if you make, you know, a $10,000 gift here, the way that our operating budget works is that we give it out to a family, we get it back with that low amount of interest and it feeds back into our, our principal to help more families. So it's kind of a, a your impact just grows over the years as opposed to a lot of organizations um, that you might give a gift and it's spent, you know, on unrestricted funding that goes to overhead and things like that. All of our donations go directly to help plaintiffs in need, which is really exciting. You've got a really unique service there and really helping out people during a time when they, uh, when they seriously need it. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's a, it's a really niche service that we offer. And, you know, as the only nonprofit of its kind, um, we're just excited to get the word out there so more people can, can learn about our services and hopefully um, we can continue to help more plaintiffs. Well, Aaron Wass, thank you very much. Let's see if we can help you get the word out a bit. Awesome. Well, Tom, this was fun. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the podcast. Thanks to Aaron Wass, Executive Director of the Milestone Foundation. Also, thanks to you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you found it uh, as informative as I did. And it uh, looks like, you know, you could have an opportunity to maybe go make a donation to these folks. I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the show notes. They are doing some good. Also, 
you know, since I'm asking for favors, <laughs> I'm not really. Uh, do me a favor. Go onto your favorite podcast platform and give us a rating. It's very helpful in growing a podcast. So I would really appreciate that. Just uh, click at the button. You might make me somewhat less grouchy. Okay, this is me. This is your host. That's why I'm talking. This is Tom Hagee. This is a co-production of Law Street Media, Fast Case, and HB Litigation. And I don't know if it has to be said, but this is not legal advice. Unless telling you that is legal advice. Mm, I think that's just common sense. Thank you for listening. Did I mention giving us a rating? Please do. Thanks. Thanks.